Hi folks, this is Jack Spierka with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is September 16th, 2015, and this is episode 1645 of the Survival Podcast. And I've got a good one for you today. I've got Justin Rhodes coming on. Justin Rhodes is the creator of a new video series that's coming out soon called permaculture chickens and if you like permaculture and chickens you'll like today's interview but if you don't like permaculture and you don't like chickens what's wrong with you no seriously if you if it's not your thing it doesn't matter today's interview is far more about how justin built a marketing story used the technology that we have available today with things like kickstarter got endorsements from well-known people in his industry even as a new person took that story to the Kickstarter platform and said, I'd like to raise $25,000 to make it worth my time to build this video series, and then raised $35,000. Would you like to know how to start a new business and raise $35,000 out of the gate? That's what we're talking about today. And I, I always talk about how if you can build a business, you can create individual freedom and liberty for yourself, a little bubble of your own freedom that you control. Today we're going to talk about how to do that. Yeah, we'll talk some about chickens. We'll talk about how he cut his feed beer uh, bill to nothing with his chickens. Hey, I want to know how to do that, even though I don't raise chickens anymore. Uh, but we're really going to get more talk about the business side of things today. Before we do, let's take care of our sponsors, guys. They do an awful lot to help take care of you by helping to make sure the show's here for you Monday through Friday, five days a week. Sponsor the day number one today, KnifeKits.com. KnifeKits is a really great company. They've been with us a long time when we vetted them for the sponsorship program. We checked all the blade forums and things like that. And they turned out to be a really great company with just a stellar reputation in the industry. And KnifeKits.com makes it easy for you to learn the skill of knife crafting. It really does for you and maybe for you and your kids to learn that skill together. You can get basic kits that aren't much more complicated than doing, let's say, a, a model car that you would buy when you were a kid and glue together. Uh, you pick out some handle material, some bolsters, and things like that. And if you're not sure what you're doing, they have books and DVDs. They also have great stuff uh, where you can make things out of Kydex and learn that skill as well. America was a, a country that at one time had a hard-line skill set. Uh, people could do things in their own home without calling a guy. Uh, to fix the, you know, whatever it was that wasn't working in your home. Today, it seems like we've lost a lot of those skills. And one way to regain them is to start taking up small hobbies like this and learn these basic skills like fit and finishing, sharpening knives, etc. And hey, if you're a master bladesmith, they have some of the coolest exotic materials you can get your hands on. Check them out today at knifekits.com. Remember, they also do support the MSP or Member Support Brigade with a great discount for you. You can find out about that in the benefits section of your MSB. Sponsor of the day number two today is Backwoods Home Magazine, the easiest company that I've ever had to endorse ever in my entire career. Um, it's really easy to endorse a company when you can look back and say to yourself, I've been this company's customer for over 20 years. That's what Backwoods Home is to me. 1994, I became a subscriber to Backwoods Home. I didn't even start the Survival Podcast till 2008. I was their customer for all of those years. In the early years of the Survival Podcast, a lot of the information that I shared with you, a lot of the teaching that I did came right out of Backwoods Home Magazine. They're an incredible company. And hey, if you haven't been a, a customer that long, consider going back and checking out some of their anthology 
anthologies. They have anthologies going back to the very first year of publication at Backwoods Home. If you want to get a subscription, you're a new subscriber. They have a deal for you in the Member Support Brigade as well. Backwoods Home is an amazing publication. If they weren't, I wouldn't have been their customer this long. It's great today that I can work with people like Dave Duffy and John Silvera, Masada Yub, and Jackie Clay, knowing that you know after reading them all those years, they're now part of what I do. It's just awesome. If you check out Backwoods Home, what you'll find is a publication, sort of kind of like Grit, sort of kind of like Mother Earth News, with a lot more homesteading stuff in it, and with a libertarian flair. Check out BackwoodsHome.com today, and you'll see why I've been their customer for so very long. Next up, let's take a look at the year that was the episode, the year 1645, because it's episode 1645, and at the TSP Wiki, Alex Shrugged has two for us today, The Little Ice Age and the Problem with Error, and Wallpaper Takes the Place of Tapestry. Um, let's read The Little Ice Age and the Problem with Error, because I find it interesting. This year begins 70 years with virtually zero sunspots reported. Of course, an absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. There are indications that the reports on solar events might be spotty, <laughs> pun, and even in the 17th, and uneven in the 17th century. Yet future scientists will use these reports as if the readings were methodological, accurate, and precise as modern day measurements. It makes one uncomfortable. They were accounting on these measurements to make decisions today, but the lack of solar activity in the 17th century corresponds with the worst drop in temperatures in the Little Ice Age and a change in the amount of carbon-14 in the air, coupled with a drop of the number of reports of the Aurora Borealis. Because of this corresponding evidence, one can reasonably assert that there was a reduction in solar activity and it was really, really strange. As much as we want to believe in a sun that works in predictable cycles... Science can't, scientists can't really explain 70 years with almost no sunspots. They can only say that it probably happened. My take by Alex Shrugged. One of the problems with scientists, one of several, is they get caught up in fads. Toward the end of the 1800s, most scientists believed they understood how everything worked, except for a few minor anomalies. Then Albert Einstein changed everything with Relatively, and then Max Planck, Niels Bohr, and Werner Heisenberg changed everything with quantum mechanics. It was an inside joke when Star Trek Transporter had trouble with the Heisenberg compensators. Warren Heisenberg came up with the uncertainty principle, but the Star Trek Transporter needed to be certain where every atom was. Of course, the bigger joke is the assumption that all historical temperature readings were equally methodological and precise. They barely had working thermometers in the 17th century. Calculations cannot be more accurate than the numbers you punch in. As I learned in computer class, garbage in, garbage out, or to err is human, but to really screw up, you need a computer. Uh, yeah, I agree. And I'm not going to jump all over the you know, climate change debate here or anything. I, I want to first of all say that I, I do personally believe, based on the observations that we have and the rec records of them, that this 70-year period was a very low solar activity. Was it virtually no sunspots? Did the sun go to sleep? Was there none? I, I, I don't know. I think that's a stretch. It would assume that people in 1645 and then for 70 years afterward had the uh, the wherewithal, the observation, and the equipment necessary to verify not a single one. And that's a pretty big assumption. 
when you look at the totality of things, the plummeting of temperatures at a time when they were already going down, and the decline in the northern lights or aurora borealis, it's reasonable to, to extrapolate that it was unusually low for an unusually long time. Now, actually, I can make sense of what Alex is like. How did the, it doesn't make sense that this 70-year timeline, you know, the sun being you know, so quiet, we have these predictable cycles that we think makes sense to us every 11 years this happens and okay so here's the problem the sun to our best guess and it's a guess it's absolutely certain okay you're a retard you don't know what you're talking about our best guess on the age of our solar system and our, our central star in it and our only star in it is 4.5 billion years Billion. Now, I know when our national debt's measured in trillions, billions don't sound that big anymore. But in time, a billion is a lot. Okay? A billion is a thousand million. A thousand million. So, <laughs> you're, <laughs> you're talking about four and a half thousand million years. And we have had uh, enough scientific uh, knowledge to have some sort of a reasonable observation of our climate for about 250, 350 years. I mean, even at this time, we really didn't. Like you said, thermometers barely worked. And we've had you know, precise, accurate measurements for about 100 years. And everything that we put into a computer program today to tell us how things are and how things should be, right? We're actually, we're arrogant enough to believe, if we weren't here, this is what the temperatures would be like. If we weren't burning oil, this is what the temperatures would be. We don't even know what the temperatures were. We do not know what the average global temperature was in the year 1800. No, we don't. No, we don't. You're a liar. You're a liar. Your pants is on fire. Well, if you're going to say that. And if you believe the people that tell you they do know, then you are exhibiting as much faith as anybody in any religion. Faith is believing that which you cannot prove, nor see, nor verify but you believe it anyway. That is faith. That is faith. That's why I call it a religion. Science has become a religion. And science is not supposed to be a religion. When anybody tells you the science is settled, they are no scientist. Jack, you're not a scientist. Yeah, but I don't have to be a scientist to know what makes a person a scientist. Any real scientist will tell you that the belief has to be that you could always be wrong. So many theories have been turned over on top of their heads. So this isn't just about climate change. This is about any time science tells you, hey, this is the way things are. And the next time you just believe the science is settled on anything, I'd like you to consider something. The same science is telling you that comfrey is a deadly poison that will destroy your liver despite 10,000 years of effective use by human beings. Yes, internally. Uh, because those scientists fed an inordinate amount of comfrey and almost nothing else to laboratory rats. And those same scientists tell you, because their paychecks are you know, based on it, that it's okay and safe for you to eat GMO crops that have been sprayed with things like Roundup, even though they've fed the corn to those rats and the rats get liver disease. There seems to be some incongruency there in that vaulted, esteemed world of science. I think that science can only be pure if there is no connection between results and funding. 
And there's a massive connection, guys, between results and funding. My take by Jack Spierko. Uh, next up today, I want to remind you guys about the member support brigade. It did run a lifetime membership sale today. Uh, it, it ran like seven or eight minutes or something like that. I was outside. My phone started going crazy, and I saw the forms coming in at like 29, 30, whatever, and I was only selling 20 of them. So I freaked out, ran in. It was no problem. It was just people still filling out the form. It went so fast, I was out filling duck pools, and I just didn't – I didn't think it would go that fast. So if you did get in, if you made payment, you're in. If you got a thing that says it was sold out, it was sold out. That's what it means. It's not an error. It means it was sold out. Um, so what I'm doing, I'm going through and, and setting up and converting accounts for the 20 people that got in. I did five this morning. Um, I'll do you know uh, five every time I take a break. I'll you know run through and do five four times, and I'll be done. And what I think I'm going to do, because it kind of blew me away at the how – hard people tried to get in. I think I'm going to do 10 more, but I'm going to do it this way. I, there's at least 10 more people that filled out a form and then got the sold out message. I'm going to go in order. So if you fill out a form, you'll probably get an email from me sometime tomorrow saying, hey, if you want a spot, you know, you can have it and it'll give you a day to make payment. Um, I, honestly, the cash flow is not a bad thing to have right now. We have two huge events coming up and we do make um, a good return on our events, but the initial cash outlay is huge. We go thousands of dollars in, you know, right up till the day of the event when we collect the other money. The, the deposits that we take don't even come close to covering it, it, probably, I don't know, 25% of the cost is about what they, they cover. And so, you know, it's not a bad thing to have a little surplus cash, especially with the level of uh, material costs in, in these two events coming up. So maybe I'll do those 10 more. I haven't decided yet, but I've had people ask me stuff like, can I, can I pay you $400 or no, 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 no. I, the integrity of this program is very important to me. And here's a business lesson, right? So when you sell something like a membership, the whole point is that it's recurrent and that it comes back and that builds you a base of, of business. And, and that gives you the freedom to then just make the product better and better and better. And that's what I try to do at the MSB and not have to worry about constantly trying to sell it. So every time I take in, let's say, 20 lifetime members, I take 20 people out that will never be a member in you know the sense of recurrent revenue ever again. So I have to balance that. So that, that's why I do that. But you know, the MSB is a great product. You can, you can join for 5 bucks a month. Did you know that? Uh, just go to the survivalpodcast.com, click on Members, and you'll learn more there, and you see all the great discounts you can get. Uh, with that wrapped up, I want to get into our uh, our main topic today of the show and introduce our special guest, Justin Rhodes. Justin's a great guy, man. He, he really is. Um, he approached me and said, well, you know, would I, would I give him some help with his Kickstarter? And I said, sure. I usually try to help anybody that comes to me with a Kickstarter as long as they're doing something cool. And then I saw the way he had to put together. I said, man, this guy, for, for a guy coming out of the gate, knows what he's doing. He put together a very well-executed campaign. And again, he initially said to, to, to do this and to make it worth doing, you know, I need about $25,000 in pre-sales. That will fund it, plus I'll make some money. So my time going in there, I get something out of it. And he was able to successfully fund it to $35,000. And again, I, I think whether you like permaculture or chickens or not, he, he, it might be a good idea to learn from somebody that figured out how to go out and take a platform like Kickstarter, turn it on, and pull in thirty five grand as a completely unknown person. Because that's pretty damn impressive, guys. And that means that you could do it with anything. You know, there's people that have come out with, with products on Kickstarter and have done a million dollars in sales before the first product ever shipped. And, again, I believe this is a central point to liberty today. And I believe with the evolving 
uh, world that we're in. It's going to take entrepreneurship to survive in the future, the very near future. So with that, I'm very excited to introduce our special guest today, Justin Rhodes. Hey, Justin, man, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited about this. Man, I'm really glad to have you on today. Uh, we're going to talk about your your, your coming uh, film, uh, Permaculture Chickens, and we're going to talk, I think, even more about how you were able to use modern technology like Kickstarter yeah. to raise the money to get this done. But before we get into that, can you just give people a little bit about your background? How did you end up in a space where not only did you want chickens in your life, but you wanted yeah. to make a video about it to tell others about how to do it for themselves? That's a good question and a very long story, but I'll try to keep it short. So I got into organics about uh, 10 years ago, 10 years or so ago. And as you know, that's very expensive. And so we started to think, well, you know, a lot of what we're eating with organic, I even started getting into more of the primal paleo uh, diet. And so that's a lot of meat, a lot of vegetables, fruits. And that's really expensive if you're buying that organic in the store. And the more that we were doing that, the more our bill was going up. We were realizing we got to find a better way. But what, what we also realized is that those very things are something that you can actually grow on your property fairly easy. I mean, if we were going to go to do grains and whatnot, that would get kind of crazy. But uh, if you're just growing different meat, I have about 75 acres, so we were able to do that. So we just started growing a lot of our own food. I had to start slowing down with that. We were almost, I mean, we we're getting near almost 100% self-sustaining. And I had to start slowing down because I got chronic Lyme disease and had to slow down physically. But I still wanted to be in the movement. Uh, I also had to get more efficient with my farm. And that's how I ended up in permaculture. I wanted, I felt like, gosh, I got to be able to connect all these things. Um, and that would just make total, a lot more sense. And then I saw Jeff Lawton's video, his tour of Zaytuna Farm. And I was like, okay, this is for me. Uh, long story short, I said, I got to train under this guy. Permaculture is going to be my new career path. Uh, I would go down, be consultant, stuff like that. So I went to the, I had a great time at Zaytuna. I didn't do the online thing. Went to Australia. So all Jeff's, why, the, why in the world did I go as far away as I possibly could to Australia when we have two or three even in our county? It's because Jeff's, I wanted that name and I wanted Jeff's name and I wanted um, to, he's doing everything. He's got, he's got cows, he's got goats, he's got ducks, he's got chickens, he's got, uh, the gardens, he's got the educational center, and that's sort of the direction I want to go. So I wanted to train under him, Ca came back, realized, I don't know if I want to do one-on-one -on -one consulting, but I still want to be in this. And so what can I do? So I read this book, Four Hour Work Week, really by Tim Ferriss. It's a business book. It's about automating your business and doing a lot of things online. So I found a lot of tools that way. And I read that book because I kind of only have four hours, but you know, I, I, it ends up being a lot more than four hours of a work week doing what I'm doing, but in that book, I discovered all these tools and the premise of it is to produce educational material, primar pr primarily videos with um, companion books and workbooks and stuff like that. So I was like, okay, what do I do? What do I know most about? And when I was at Jeff's, I saw the movie Permaculture Orchard and I was like, this is so cool because it was very high quality. I thought it was very organized I think Olivier did a great job on that. 
And I was inspired because here was an educational video that was high quality and in, even entertaining. So I was like, what could, how, what could I do? And so I thought, okay, I know most about chickens. I've been doing chickens for 10 years, and they're such a gateway into the sustainable movement that I was like, okay, let's do a film on chickens. So hope that answered your question. If you want to go deeper in any of that, just let me know. No, we, we probably will as we move through this. Uh, okay. what, what, what impressed me was how well put together the Kickstarter campaign was. and. Okay. You just answered without probably even realizing it a, a very key part of my my thought process as to how you came out of the gate so strong with this that the fact that you read Ferris's book is uh is it, probably a big part of of the 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 well executed plan because uh, it's one of the best books for budding entrepreneurs out there. I was actually one of the only uh, business owners uh, crazy enough that I used to give copies of it to people that worked for me. Because uh, nice. it pretty much tells you to stop working for me and go work for yourself. But, you know, being <laughs> a guy that wanted to encourage entrepreneurial behavior, you know, I actually meant what I said. It is a fantastic book. Um, yeah. And just maybe if you could just, before we move on, say a little bit more about, you know, some of the things that you picked up in that that you used moving forward. Okay. Probably, again, it, it appealed to me because because I felt like I only had four hours because of Lyme disease and because I was doing it at the farm and because of four kids. Uh, it really started to appeal to me these, this automation idea about just using the power of the Internet to set things up, work initially, and then set these things up, and then it began to work automatically. Probably how I then took what I learned into the Kickstarter was, first of all, that it was the whole concept, the video with a companion book. I mean, that is brilliant. When you're teaching somebody else to do something, that is so valuable. I mean, we're going to sell the download for uh, 40 bucks and the DVD and the companion ebook for 80 bucks, and somebody's going to get their money out of that within a month. I mean, they're going to grow their own chickens, they're going to they're going to process their own birds, and there's such it's it's such a cool business because there's no compromise in it. It's like it's so righteous, if you will. It's just like we're selling something that is going to help somebody out so much. But the, but the, one of the concepts, another concept I took out of it is to test, test things and to pre pre-sell and Kickstarter is beautiful for that. And, um, so this concept of, uh, pre-selling definitely helped me. And I'm just trying to wrap. Oh, probably one of the, um, another big thing that helped me was because I was coming back into business, mind you, I hadn't been in business since like early 2001. I used to sell, I used to have a dropship business in 2001, selling my own boards online. But, uh, so I kind of went away from the internet and came back, luckily through Tim Ferriss's book, because there are a lot of different, uh, views and angles and strategies out there that I did have that sort of interesting foundation and interesting network because I joined his email list and read his blog. I found other cool people with similar drives. Like one example was uh, I found Noah Kagan on there, which is a, a guy who sells web apps and he does, he, he, he's real big on email list. And so I read his article about one of his articles. It was a guest post by a guy named Brian Harris, video fruit. And it was about how to collect email addresses uh, throughout your website. And I probably devoured that. And one thing I actually did in the Kickstarter that was awesome was that, I put three links in the Kickstarter. I don't know if you noticed for people to join my email list mm -hmm. because I knew that not everybody would get on the Kickstarter and go ahead and buy it. And I thought, you know, I should get people's email because what if I don't make it? I mean, what if this Kickstarter doesn't make it? I won't have anybody's contacts. I got to have something. And then what if it is doing well, but, but these people forgot about my project. And so 
I actually used that to send that. I got about a thousand emails. I had seven before we started, mm. and now we're up to like forty, forty-five hundred or something crazy. But um, I, I used that to collect emails, and then and then about twenty-four hours before the Kickstarter ended, send that out, and that I mean, thousand emails brought in a thousand dollars, just reminding people, hey, you you should interest in in this film. You want to go ahead and get it, and and so I thought that was cool, and then that gave me a base of followers going into how I've been marketing the film from then on. That that's awesome, and I, that's that's worth the price of admission, guys, right there. That that is so valuable, and so many people I see put together websites, marketing campaigns, what have you, and they do nothing to build a customer database, a, an email list, and it is the most powerful thing you can do today. When one company goes out and buys another company. They're not mm-hmm. buying the company's ability to produce widgets or design bridges or whatever. Because anybody with the money to buy a company could just do that. What they're buying is the customer base. And online, your customer base is that email list. So that's awesome. Th- then yeah. the next thing I noticed, right, is like you came out of the gate and all of a sudden, like, everybody knows you, right? But no one knew who you were the day before you came out of the gate. And you were able to do that with a lot of really cool associations like Jeff Lawton, like Joel Salatin. Can you talk about how you were able to gain traction out of the gate as a relative unknown? Yeah, that is, that is a very good point. I mean, and hopefully this will give people hope. I was absolutely unknown. I had seven people on my email list, and that was just from being on a Facebook group posting, hey, you want to know more about chickens, get on my email list. And then uh, I knew no influencers. I mean, I knew Jeff. But he his email list he wasn't going to put out his email like list like that. But and anybody can get on uh, permaculture uh, permaculturenews.org um, if you give them a content article, then they'll do a promo article. So anybody could do that. So, but putting myself that was a big step there. Is then okay? I'm a I'm a no name, and how am I going to pitch this? Well, I said that's that's one of my tricks is line up big stars. By putting my name and picture next to Joel Salatin and Pat Foreman and Lisa Steele and Jim Atkins was a big move. I mean, especially Joel Salatin. I mean, when I was doing the Kickstarter, I, I looked up on Google how many how many times people search for him, and it was like fifteen thousand times a month. So nobody's searching for me unless it's the pop star, you know, the Justin Rhodes pop star. So lining up the big names and not taking no. Uh, some of the people in the film at first were like. Uh, no, we're busy, and I, I just kept on being persistent. Uh, for Lisa Steele, anyway, she, if you don't know her, she's like for backyard poultry type people, and uh, she wasn't gonna she wasn't gonna do it. But then I was like, well, how about we put you in the film? Yeah, I, I was talking about for her promoting me, and how about we put you in the film? And so then she got in the film, and then I'm next to her, and she's got like half a million followers on 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 Facebook. So also with uh, Joel. I know he's very busy, and if you and I knew his daily rates, and I don't know if I need to speak those on this show, but um, I said, okay, I want an app. But it's so cool doing business with Joe because I was like, you know, I want an hour, I want an hour with him. So I broke down what his daily rates are. So what are hours? So essentially, I paid Joe. Okay, and he he might have, in hindsight, he probably would have done it. Maybe not. He is very busy, and and here's how Joel's busy. I don't know if anybody's been to Joel Salatin, and I hope I can go on a little rant sidetrack here, but. I went to I went to his farm and where he wants to be is on his farm. I mean, he's on that fuller. He's not stopping for anybody. He's doing his thing. I think he has those daily rates because that's what you're gonna have to pay his butt to get off that farm because he loves it so much, you know, to make it worth it for him. So uh, I knew that I would have to pitch something to him just to be sure to get him. 
And so that was important, lining up those stars and then showing the video to people like you or showing the Kickstarter film to people like you and Jeff and Joel and others was cool because I felt like, I mean, you could speak from your perspective as an influencer, but that would be the other point. But, but I wanted to be like, okay, look, here, here's a little something. I mean, I mean, it wasn't much, but it was all I had to give. So give the influencer a little something, a little heads up. And uh, so I thought that was neat. And that actually ended up getting me some reviews. Like Jeff came back and said, very nice, nice, you know, something like that. And so I was actually able to use that. The same thing with Paul Wheaton, going ahead and giving them the heads up. And working with influencers like that, also just going through their hoops. Uh, Paul Wheaton, for example, just doesn't want you to just email him directly. You 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 go on the website, you, fi- you go to contacts, and you find out you need to read that whole thing and find out. Well, you need to contact his assistant first. That's how he likes to roll. For for Joel, I called Polyface. Uh, I knew he was old school. But then they said, okay, go ahead and email him. And they gave me his email address. So going through the protocols, and since I was not an influencer at that time, I did not have emails, I needed to borrow some. So that, that's what I did. And I, and I, and I, I did the permaculture orchard method, too. I learned that, that they joined every Facebook group. And I did that about three months before related to my film and started building relationships with the admins there and started posting on those. So started visiting them a little bit. And then uh, also I joined like 72 Facebook pages of the influencers. And I used a tool, compete.com, to go and see how many site, how many visits a website gets each month. And so I kind of lined up my my top. I mean, I, I targeted like 10, t- 10 to 12 top influencers where I like craft. I mean, I would spend a, an hour on one email uh, and that email would then only last one minute, you know, so people are busy, so you don't want to bug them too much. And so then, and then, the, then I would, uh, so I would really target hard, like 10 to 12 influencers with a personal crafted email. And then I would target like tw- 72 people on, on Facebook, bloggers and news sites and things like that. And uh, just comment on their posts and things like that. Just try to get their attention. So uh, that was totally key. Not having influencers to get some. To well, borrow some. I'll, I'll kind of talk about that real quick. As as someone that you know you contacted to help you. Yeah. I, I I want to help as many people as I can. But the reality is, any of us out there that are doing things enough to be able to influence things, we do have to see to our own needs. Uh, and we also have to be judicious with how many things we put out there on behalf of others because we all only have so much influence, right? We have a limited, a finite amount of social capital. And every time you promote something for someone, your ability to actually help someone else is is compromised because just like we have limits, every single consumer has limits. Not everybody can afford to buy everything. In fact, most of us can't. So we have to make decisions. So if I promote... Joe today and Tom tomorrow, if yeah. even if they're not similar, if the users have uh, financially supported Joe, they don't have a money left over to support Tom. So when I look at something, I look at it, do I think like this is a righteous thing, first of all? Do I think this is a good thing? The other thing is, do I think the person that's doing it has their, has their shit together, just to be blunt? Do they know yeah. what the hell they're doing? So when you approached me, I think you wrote me a pretty long email, but you did what's the most important thing. I read the first paragraph, and I knew what you wanted, and I knew where to go see what you were doing. So I went and looked at it. I said, okay, this guy's got it together. He knows what he's doing. I watched a trailer video. 
okay, great. I'll back this. I'll promote, I'll back it personally and then I'll yeah. promote it. And for me, with Kickstarters, this is kind of the rules. When I look at your Kickstarter, if I'm not willing to click the button and give you some money, I'm probably not going to ask anybody else to do it. So when yeah. I say your product, I'm like, this is a product I'd like to have. Uh, I'm more of a duck guy, so I don't know how much of it I'll really use, but I also teach all of this stuff. I would love to have this as reference material. I, I like what he's doing, and he didn't waste my time. So you write a long email like you did, that's fine, but you have to condense the whole thing into the first couple sentences, and then for the person, because there's a lot of people that would read every word and want, and yeah. you don't ever know when you approach somebody like me or, or Jeff or Joel or whatever, who is that person? What, what do they prefer? So you give them both by making yeah. sure that you have, and you did that. So when I looked at what I said, I know what he wants. I know what he's doing. I know what he's asking for. I know where to go to find more about it. 10 seconds had that done. Got over, looked at it. Okay. Joel's involved with this. It, it, it can't suck or Joel wouldn't get anywhere near it. No matter what you pay. Right. looked at it. And I think so many people can learn from that because I get pitched ideas all the time. You didn't pitch me an idea. You pitched me a thing. Right. There was a, there was something there when you brought it to me. And yeah. that made it so easy to say, Hey, yeah, this is great. Let's help this guy out. So from, from my angle, and I don't know, like not every influencer is going to, going to analyze it exactly that way. But, but since I'm so cut you off direct to the point, if it works for me, it'll probably work for anybody. Yeah. Yeah. And I appreciate you backing that. You made me think of something else there with, with, Contacting influencers is interesting enough. I, when I sent my one to Joe, I think I consistently had to email twice. Mm -hmm. And every time I made it even shorter. I mean, by that time I was reading the email out loud to make sure it was less than a minute. Yep. And then, but then I realized when I went and interviewed him and I talked about in the, if you got the raw of my film, you'll, you'll get that interview. I talked about his business success and, and things like that. And he, and his schedule, well, he doesn't check emails, uh, to a certain part of the day. I don't know if I should say what part of the day, but then, <laughs> so then I realized, oh, oh, he probably didn't get those first emails because it was just buried in his email address, you know? So sometimes, sometimes uh, you, you might have to wait a few days and try again. Yeah, definitely. I mean, part of the thing, like there's times where I'll read somebody's thing And I yeah. just don't, I don't feel like it today, but if yeah. I see from him again, then, then, okay, well maybe, maybe I have time this time. And what you're talking about Joel doing, that's actually in four hour work. We, it's called batching. So that's yeah. how I manage my email. There's people like, man, you return email so fast. No, dude, you got lucky. You sent yeah. your email as I was batching, right? So I batch <laughs> and that means yeah. that we take a certain time of day. I do email right. and I don't even look at it for the rest of the day. And where are you in the, st the, the, the stack when I batch? And how, how am I able to look at your email and scan it? Because unlike Paul, I don't use an assistant. I don't want anybody but me touching my email because I don't want anybody committing to something that I that they think, oh, Jack would be happy to do that. No, no, not really. Not this week. <laughs> you know. And I also want to always have that personal touch. So that, that's a really good tip. And that is... That's understanding the other side, right? And, and realizing, like, I have to be concise, quick, to the point. And, it, you know, the thing is, if you keep coming back at a person, they'll either eventually respond to you or tell you, I'm not interested. If you yeah. send them one email and, for all you know, it went in the spam box, they were having a bad day, whatever, and they're not ignoring you. They just ignored that email. Yeah. They're not even thinking about you. It's just, I don't have time for this today. Right. Well, and that made me think of something else, too, with Jeff, for example. 
I, I wasn't about to be able to email him because I think it's the same email he uses to send out to his videos. <laughs> and so I thought of a, a wiggle in, I guess you could call it. It's kind of like, okay, I went to his class. I talked to this person, um, Bonnie, and that's who I dealt with when I was signing up for his class. So I'll email her and pitch it to her. And she'll, in back of my mind, she'll pitch it to Jeff. And it worked like, like that. So sometimes too, you have to think about those, those loopholes for somebody really busy, like an intern for somebody or something like that. If you, if, because a lot of times you can't even find an email address. And by the way, one, one quick trick to find an email address, if you can't, is sign up for their newsletter if they've got one. And usually you can reply to that and get somebody's email. And surprisingly, you get very few responses to those. Right. I know. So, I'm finding that. Yeah. It, it's like, it, it's kind of like a little known thing. Like everybody thinks like, don't use that email because everybody uses that email. Like nobody uses the reply <laughs> to email on an email list. Well, I tried with Jeff. I couldn't get through, but for me, I, that's what I, I'll even encourage people to reply because it, it looks good on you for, for, it gets your emails out of, out of spam generally if people reply. Yeah. Uh, I'll even encourage replies, but I think they think it's just coming from this machine in the sky. They're not going to get this or whatever. But well, well uh, look, so whenever you're doing that, whenever you're like, you know this because you have an email list now and you market to it, right? Yeah. You're very concerned with read rates, open rates, response yes. rates, right? So when you see a, a, a reply mm-hmm. to a promotional email, you read it just to see what the person said. Anything from I love you to you suck, you want to know, right? So even if yeah. the person that you're trying to get to doesn't read it, you can bet that if they have a staff, there's a marketing person that's probably going to read right. it. Yeah, those are the first emails I look for. I wake up it's in the morning and check my email looking for those replies. <laughs> I'm thinking other influencers might be that way too. I don't know. Yeah. You're, you, you just mentioned it, so. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, whenever I send out a promotional email, if I get a reply to it, I read it, right? You yeah. know, and a lot of times it's like unsubscribe me. And if I'm having a bad day, I'll respond with, "You see that link at the bottom that says unsubscribe? <laughs> I Click." I, I got that last night. <laughs> oh man! So, what are some of the other like online tools that you used? Uh, you know, either for this Kickstarter or that you're using now to run your business? Okay, so let me look. Okay, so. Well, one thing that, okay, so I, I got onto that email collection and started with the Kickstarter campaign, and that's probably been one of the biggest ones. And the way, though, that I've got email, I've, I've used the power of the Internet to get people's emails in the first place by putting out really good content. I don't know if you've noticed, but I put about I put about 10 emails out on Raising Chickens. It ended up being, you know, pretty much the script for the for the movie, and, but I put it online and script. I mean, if somebody don't want to buy the movie, I guess they could go online and read all the stuff if they want to. But <laughs> a lot of a lot of people would just rather cut to the short and watch the, the the movie. But if you're cheap, I guess you could do that. But at the end of every, this is a good trick. At the end of every uh, post, I would say, do you want to? Okay, so like if I did how to get started with chickens, and I told all about it, what you need, where to get it, and all that stuff. Well, then at the end, I would say, well, download this checklist. It's free. And then, and that would just be something they could download. And it would just be a real quick, do you got this? Do you got to, you know, just check the box off. And, but to get that, they'd have to sign up to, for their email. Mm-hmm. They'd have, and I would use a thing called leadpages.net. And that is just awesome. I mean, you go there and you can create uh, landing pages or what you call lead boxes for those people that I don't know. People click on a link, a little pop-up box comes up. 
those are templates. So you just go in there and just change the picture, change the text, whatever. And I don't, I'm not a designer. I'm a terrible designer. So I just use those templates through leadpages.net. And, and then I used a email collection service. I started out with AWeber, but then something caught my eyes, these, these, this idea of uh, drip emails. And that's another automation that I guess Tim Ferriss would like is that I went to a service called Active Campaign because with Active Campaign, you can do this with AWeber too, but Active Campaign will get a little more sophisticated. And I'll tell you about that in a minute. But if, if, if you sign up for my email list now, you can then get a drip, you'll get an email every day and it'll run you through a series of, of, it'll run you through a course, basically a free course on, on raising chickens. And every fourth one, so I'll send three content emails and they're really good and, uh, they're really informative and they're really going to help somebody. And then on the fourth one, I'll, I'll still give some content, but then I'll pitch, I'll pitch the film. Mm-hmm. And up into the film now, then it was a pre-order and then, Three more emails and then pitch the film. So I like that rule. Give, 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 and then sell. So you're given at least 75% and then pitch. And that's what you call permission marketing. I mean, you have permission by then because you've built up authority. You've given them value. You've developed trust. And they're way more likely and eager to buy from you because they feel like you know you. So so then it was leadpages.net, and then it was uh, Active Campaign. Oh, and what else Active Campaign can do is if, let's say, somebody goes and at the fourth step, at the fourth email, they actually buy. And they, uh, let's say they buy the download. Well, then I can actually move them, move that person's email from that list to another. And so they can go to another sequence. They could continue the course out, but maybe it wouldn't be another pitch at the end of that email sequence because they've already bought the film. Or maybe I say, okay, you bought the digital. Would you be interested in the, in the companion ebook? It's got, it's got the plans in it. You can print it out and that kind of stuff. So I thought that was pretty cool and sophisticated. And another, another thing I really love is that I'm going to use, use to give away, to, to give out my DVD. I mean, or to the film. I've had to learn all this from scratch, but, is a service called Gumroad. I really like it for um, digital downloads. It's so slick. I mean, if you go to my website and go to the Permaculture Chickens page uh, and you click on buy this now, I mean, it pops up right there. It's it's already a credit card field. And because it's a digital download, you only got to put in your email address and your credit card information. It doesn't take all this correct. It doesn't take your address and stuff like that. So it's just, it's just super slick. And it actually, it, it integrates with everything, and 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 what I'm uh, an example of that is if somebody buys a gum uh, uh, one of my products on Gumroad, then Gumroad communicates with my email list. Uh, so Gumroad would put this new, it could put this new buyer into a whole another new email list if you if you follow that. I don't know if I lost everybody on that or or whatnot. So, so what you're saying is an action. I'll, I'll translate that for you because okay, I, okay. I, I think anyway. Yeah. It, it's an action-based, uh, basically removing them from one list, moving it to another. So, yeah. for instance, if I'm selling multiple products and one of my products is pretty much a product somebody's going to buy one time. Like if I buy your video, I'm not probably going to buy it again. It's a video, right? right. I have it. Yeah. I can put it on my computer. I can put it on my TV. Why would I buy it again? So now I've I've changed that customer into, number one, I know they're a buyer. 
So I yeah. want I want to love that customer because they right. pay me money. That means they'll probably do it again. But I also don't want to keep trying to sell them. That's right. Thing they already bought. So I move them with automation to a new list. And you mentioned Aweber, just so the folks that are using Aweber know how powerful it is. It can do that too. And I think okay. that's a, one of the most important things you can do because I get kind of ticked when I, I buy something from a person and then like two years later, they're sending me their 14th email telling me to buy it. I'm like, I already bought this from you. Give me something new. And yeah. that's the magic, right? Because that's what a person that bought from you that likes you is thinking, if you give me something new, I'll buy that too. But yeah. don't keep trying to sell me the same book, the same video, the same widget, the same gasket, whatever. I already have yeah. one of those. Yeah. And that would be an encouragement I've learned is that it, it takes some time to learn that and set that up. And it's still somewhat confusing to me. But these people are really good at customer service. Uh, I'm just trucking through it. And one cool thing about it is it's that automation thing is once you do the hard work and get it figured out, it's going to pay off in your sleep. I mean, if somebody signs up for my email list, which we're getting like 50 or more a day, they're automatically putting that automation. And so I've set that up and technically I'm, I'm teaching class through email and then pitching the film. And you do uh, it once. Email. You do it once. Yeah. It's evergreen. It's set That's up nice. and it rolls and it rolls yeah. and it rolls. Um, a couple things that you were talking about there that I want to, I want to kind of say some things about. One, I want to tell a quick story. You were talking about giving, like, basically, you could get the whole script, but you don't get the video. Well, the videos, the pictures, it's the it's the sexy stuff. That's what I'm looking yeah. for. Right? So I'm going to buy that anyway. But I think people, like a lot of entrepreneurs, are way too afraid to give too much because then they won't buy. I, I almost don't want to have another author on my show because you ask them something about a plot. Well, I don't want to spoil it, you know, or whatever. Like, dude, it, this is how you – I'm sorry you don't understand how to sell your product. I'm trying to help you here. But – This is a, a, a real story of something happened to me years and years ago as I was learning all this stuff. This is back in the 90s. And there's a million guys that are going to tell you how to get rich on the Internet, right? And I had started playing with Google AdSense. And that's where, like, you have a website and you put Google ads on it. If somebody clicks, you make some money. I don't know how good this is anymore because I quit doing it because the, the rates went way, way down. But back when Google first launched this thing, you yeah. could make buttloads of money doing nothing. And I found this book. Uh, called AdSense Secrets by a guy named Joel Com, and it was gonna you know slice toast and, and make me a millionaire and whatever. And I, I had heard so much of that, and I'd gotten pretty good with hacks on Google, so I was like, I bet you I can find this. So I wasn't able to find it. So I did not find the book at all. But what I did is I looked at all the people that he was he was putting down as testimonials, and mm. I looked up their websites. And all I did was look at how they had their ads formatted because that was the magic. Remove the borders, line up. And as soon as I saw it, I'm like, I don't need this book. So I went and I fine-tuned all my AdSense stuff the way this stuff was formatted. Yeah. And the money rolled in. And you know what I did? Two weeks after it, it that, that change was made and I, I saw that it worked, even though I didn't need it, I went out and bought his book. Because I was like, this now paid for itself. Like this guy has earned his money. Yeah. So, so to me, you can give stuff away, and then people, out of this this sense of reciprocity, will often come back and do do business with you. Now, the drip campaign, this is something very interesting. I don't even re really know if you realize what you're doing, and once you do, you can actually tune it up even more. One of the most important things a business should do is train its customers how to do business with them, right? So when yeah. you put together a proper drip campaign, it's not just that seven touches to a sale thing going on, and it is. But it's yeah. also, 
I'm teaching you to be my customer in the way that I want you to be my customer. I want a customer that's happy, easy to provide service to, knows how to buy from me, doesn't ask, how do I buy the thing? They've been trained. You buy it by clicking this thing, filling it out, and it'll be sent to you. And that is magic. Can you imagine having a customer base that's been properly trained to buy from you? And and that sounds kind of like sleazy telemarketer. It's not. It's just if you do want to do business with me, this is the process. Yeah. And, And that creates like this loyal reciprocity buyership, the giving and the training together. And people start to feel like, I get so much out of this, of -hmm. course I'm going to do business with this company or this person. That's right. And then hopefully you have a valuable product that is righteous in it. Well, if you don't, it'll fall apart. (laughs) If you're giving stuff away, if you're giving a portion of it away, and I'll I'll tell you in a second what Joel Selton, how he markets or encourages people to market, and we can learn something from that and apply it to the Internet world, but you give something away, then they know that they're going to like it. Like you said, that that's going to be your customer and everybody else, everybody else who's going to end up being a bad customer is, would have dropped out earlier. And what, uh, Joel, Joel, I asked Joel for the film for the, I said, what do you, how do you, how do you suggest people to market this, market their profitable poultry? And he said, grow 50, eat 25, give the other 25 away. And you're going to have 20 customers out of those 25 that you gave away. So I'm really applying that in this film. I'm, I'm probably going to get even the film, the rolling film. I'm going to give it not the entire thing, all in one place sort of thing, but probably up to 40% of the film is going to be given away in different various on webinars, on, on YouTube, on Instagram clips and, and things like that. And it's the free sample concept. And Joel's going with it, so he's a, he's an excellent businessman. I think we can apply that to the internet for sure. Yeah, I mean, and I've seen like so YouTube personalities that get well known that people start looking forward to like a weekly YouTube how-to segment, and they do one a week for a year to take a couple of weeks off, and they they do fifty in a year, and they have their followers going. Could you put all this on a DVD? Yeah. Now, you can get you can go to SS if you add SS to to YouTube, right? In any video, you just add SS, you can download any YouTube video for free. I don't know if everybody knows that. You do it now, right? You just strip video off YouTube. And anybody that wants to find out can so they could do that. But what yeah. they're actually saying is I want a product from you. I want to do business with you. I you know, and I, I think that there's there's so much of that out there that people that that come forth with a with a served servant attitude first end up building social yeah. capital that can be leveraged and converted into financial capital. And yes. you, know, you mentioned Joel and his, you know, I, I remember him saying uh, at several times I've seen him speak that with pasture broilers, do 50 chickens, give them away. Right? Yeah. And, and, and then you've, you've got this customer base. And that is this, you know, the guy doesn't come off like a guy that, that understands like 1970s back of the book selling. Yeah. Whether because he does directly or indirectly, he certainly does. Yeah. And with the internet and digital products like ours, it doesn't cost, it costs Joel quite a bit to give some of those chickens away. But with a digital download off the internet, it really doesn't cost that much to give away. I mean, you can give it, you can give a product away on Gumroad for free. So. Well, and I can, what I can do is I can sell a product 
by by not making it a DVD. And DVDs are pretty cheap to to spit out, but I don't. Yeah, they're yeah. kind of they're kind of going away. I mean, there's still yeah. a market for them and all, and, and that's why you're willing to do it, and that's why with other products I've been willing to do it. But in the end, it's it's going full digital. But I agree. Look yeah. at something like a book. Like yeah. the cost of printing a hard copy book is so expensive yeah. that what I end up having to do is sell the product for more than I want to and make less than I deserve. That just that doesn't work, right? That's not a good mo- I'm going to sell a product for more than I want to so that my customers not serve <laughs> as well as I want them served and I'm going to make less money or I can sell it as an electronic product, I can sell it at a fair price for the information that's in there or the entertainment that's in there and I make almost 100% profit. Yeah. And that means I can sell for I can sell at the price point I actually want to price the product at. Customer gets the same quality, probably better. Elect- electronic books when it started, oh. remember the first Kindles like they yeah. sucked, but like with a Kindle app today on an iPad, the book's better than it is in paper. Yeah. It really it's got is. videos, it's got links in it. It's crazy. You know, I'm not sitting there typing in a 75 character URL because the author was too dumb to know what Bitly was, right? I can right. even if, if he puts the giant URL in her, I can still just click it or right. I'm reading it, and I'm like, I don't like he's smarter than me. I don't know what that word means. I can highlight it. There's the definition. Right. It, it is it is such a better technology. I think so. Like books, CDs, tapes, all that stuff is 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 a dying technology, and, and to me that's like so great for the entrepreneur and for the customer. Yeah. Well, our DVD, our, the quality of our film is almost a Blu-ray. So my, my video guy can't even put that high quality of a film on a DVD. Mm. But guess what? It's, it's going up that high quality on Gum, Gumroad. So, That's I'm awesome. digital, so because of that, I'm giving the download also to the people who bought the DVD. So they'll be able to, if they really want that high quality, they can go online. But how are we going to get around the touch, you know? Uh, it's like some, sometimes people just want to hold something in their hand. Mm-hmm. I think that's the appeal of the book and even the DVD. Well, have, so. you seen, have you seen how info marketers that are selling everything electronic, when they put together a long sales copy, like they'll put like graphics of like you're going to do six, a six video series – and they'll put yeah. a graphic for every single one of the videos as a physical representation, as a, like a CD yeah. case, yeah. right? Even though there's no CDs. And the customer yeah. knows damn well there's no CDs. It says 100%. <laughs> but it makes their head wrap around, okay. oh, it is really, a, it's not a download. It's six different videos. Or they'll show an ebook and they'll show like a, uh, like a real book with an edge and paper, you know, like you can see multiple pages to make the point. This is a 400 page book. That's what this, even though it just all fits in your iPhone. And that, that makes that person, because we're not quite there yet. I think younger people, if they have money, they get it. They don't need it. But older guys like me, oh, yeah, okay, now I understand why this is 20 bucks or 50 bucks or whatever. Yeah. So, um, what made you decide you were going to do a film in the first place on chickens? What, what was like, okay, you could, like, the process you just described, what I what I said in the intro part of today's show that you didn't hear was, I don't care if you want nothing to do with chickens, and I don't care if you want nothing to do with permaculture. If yeah. you want freedom in your life, you need to listen to today's right. show, because running a business is a way toward individual freedom, both time-wise and economics. And yeah. You so what you know now, you can go out and make a business selling freaking hatchets or anything you want. What made you pick this? 
Okay, well, I knew from reading the book, to, from Tim Ferriss' book, that I needed 10 times the markup. And so I knew it wasn't going to be a paper book. And, and as you've spoken, it's ridiculous. And there are so many paper books. And from research, I found out that people want to learn through video. That's the number one source. That even beats one-on-one coaching. Get that. So, you know, we're in this internet social age. So, and, and the people I'm marketing to, I'm finding my crowd is uh, 35 and younger. So that's definitely an internet crowd. And so I thought, I was really going off the book. You know, it's the concept of a, a video. I knew that the margins were high in film, but the perceived value and really the true value is more because, like, I watched Permaculture Orchard and knew quite a bit in an hour and a half. And I know, I think there's a book out on it now. It would probably take me eight hours to read. So, but I, so I knew that information was where it's at. I knew the most about chickens. I'd done chickens for 10 years. That I knew that was a gateway into the, um, into sustainability for people. I knew that people wanted to grow their own food like I, I had so long ago and that it was terribly hard. Like it's missed a generation. Like, uh, my dad's old enough to be my grandpa. So most grandpas though, nowadays, if you talk to somebody my age, I'm 36. Grandpa probably knows how to do, knew how to do things. He knew how to process a bird, set an egg. Uh, shoot, my dad can even remember canning a beef. So and, and and getting their water out of the spring and uh, so they really know how to do and they really know how to homestead. But then that next generation forsook the farm and uh, went into business and so it was lost. That that information has skipped a generation. It's lost and so. But now there seems to be a movement back to it. People, the young people are craving it again. And I'm just real. I, I, I saw that as an opportunity, but I really also want to help people out. Uh, shorten their learning curve and there, there is a, there is a fulfillment in that. You do say business is freeing and especially if you go with something with a, a high enough margin, uh, cause look, sure, I'm giving out 75% and then I'm, and then I'm selling. You know, everybody's gotta make a living. Uh, at some point, everybody's gotta sell something, whether it's gonna be for somebody else or for themselves. And I've been an entrepreneur since I worked at Walmart when I was 16. That lasted about six weeks with those paychecks and they set your hours and I'm like, uh, uh-uh. and so started mowing grass, uh, chopped, uh, sold firewood, sold St. Bernard dogs, got myself through college that way. So, and then, and then when the internet came along, I saw that opportunity. I did drop ship business on mountain boards. First day I opened, I sold a mountain board to the UK and another one to the, to the neighbor across the street. So it's, that really showed me the power there. And, and actually, but at the height of that, talk about setting yourself up for automation and, and freedom is we were living in Honduras at the height of that, working full time at an orphanage for about 14 hours a day. And we would spend an hour on their spotty, worse than AOL internet hmm. and take care of business. So, I mean, once it's set up, you've got a product that's made. I mean, this video has been a beast. I mean, it, it's been, it has taken my full-time attention for a year, but hopefully, uh, once it gets out there, it'll get for five, ten, ten years. Yeah, I mean, it really is. It's an evergreen product is, is the yeah. way we look at it. And you, 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 you're, you will have a sales cycle with a big swell and then, you know, a trailing and a long tail of, of, of small sales, but, because of the kind of product it is and because of the automation, you can have that. That's the thing. You, like if you were stalking 
uh, large amounts of inventory. You, you can't have a business that runs that way without yeah. eating your lunch and inventory. Yeah. Um, the, the, I think like the other big thing about this is you did something that I say to do all the time that a lot of business experts are kind of in vogue now and saying not to do. And that is you followed something you're passionate about. Yeah. You love chickens. You love teaching. You love being able to produce your own food. And the chicken like in this whole thing is there's a lot of people that plant their first garden and they don't get jack out of it. Everything dies. Chickens, right. if you follow certain rules, you're going to get eggs. You're gonna get eggs, and the first egg is the most expensive egg you'll ever produce, and it's all gravy after that. <laughs> That's right. Like my garden out there is is wilting; it's dry out. But you know, I get the chickens feed, and and it's go it's golden. I mean, it, even if something got my entire flock tonight, I could go on Craigslist and buy an adult chicken in lay for fifteen dollars. So chickens are cool like that. So. That's where I started. And another thing is about the thing, the cool thing about chickens and the cool thing about permaculture and then blending the, the technologies of the internet, the most modern technologies is that we're marrying this ancient, timeless nature thing that doesn't change. Like chickens aren't going to change. The internet sure is. I mean, if I was selling an internet based product, like how to, how to do Facebook ads, that could change mm. really quick. A chicken is a chicken is a chicken is not going to change. A chicken needs a certain amount of food, a certain kind of food, a certain kind of shelter, and it's time. The chicken's going to need the same thing a hundred years from now. So my my video, I mean, some of the technologies, maybe maybe we're going to, I don't know, put collars on chicken and not need poultry nets or something. But uh, you get it. It's, it's uh, the chicken's the same, so it's a, a really stable product that I'm that I'm selling and a concept. Yeah, definitely. I, uh, you know, you make me think of like when I first started learning how to market online. Uh, I joined as an affiliate with a company called Cognition Networks, which isn't even in business anymore. Their primary product they sold was long distance service for phones. Why do you think I don't do that anymore? <laughs> I mean, but you know, I learned the skill set and took it forward. And for a lot of years, it, it produced a pretty good revenue stream for me. And there was a there was a million people doing it, so it was very competitive. So that that was like you know, kind of training with ankle weights on. And when you take them off, you can run a little faster. Uh, yeah. But but that changed. I mentioned Joel Com's book on AdSense. Like people think, well, if that was like a money machine, why don't you do it anymore? Because well, it's, yeah. it's not anymore. That's why because that whole. <laughs> Thing you know, Google made this huge entry point and did a huge payout to get all these affiliates, knowing full well that all these little sites all over the place sending them all this traffic. It was like even if it was only making you a couple bucks, now you weren't going to take it down. It didn't cost so so that changed. Amazon affiliates, you know, almost got completely slaughtered until Amazon capitulated on the sales tax issue. There were people that were making eighty thousand dollars a month with with uh, with Amazon as affiliates. And then when they did that sales tax thing and it, it turned out like when Arkansas said, we want you to do it, you know, if anything is done in Arkansas, if the affiliate lives in Arkansas or whatever. And, uh, Amazon just said, fine, we're not going to use affiliates in Arkansas anymore. So if you happen to live there, all of a sudden your income was just shut off. So you make yeah. a really valid point that when, whenever you're in business, if you're, if your business is contingent upon something that can change or more accurately, somebody else can change it on you. You've yeah. Got a problem. But if your if your business is based on things that people always are going to want to know, 
or always want to buy, then you are in a much better position. That's right. So in all of this, like, let's talk a little bit about the actual product now, right? From, from the homesteader side, you use chickens to do tilling, fertilizing, spreading, weeding, bug control, composting, and even harvesting and planting. Uh, yeah. uh, so can you talk about how you do that? <laughs> that, yeah, it's amazing. I would totally keep chickens without meat or eggs just, just for that. So let me, let me start with this. Okay. So you got a garden area you want to prepare. I, um, I just see the S1 guys go by. They're actually wood chipper guys. They, uh, you, you'll see these tree service guys actually pulled up outside, right outside my door right now, but they, uh, I use wood chips for uh, gardening and incorporate the chickens in that, and here's how it all works. So you have a garden area you want to get ready, just put the chickens on it. Put them there long enough until the sod is gone. If if And hopefully you'll – I mean, you have to put enough chicken – that's the basic rule, keep them there long enough till the sod is gone. But you don't want that sod to be gone too long or even exposed at all. So you could actually, as they're tailing, put in – uh, dump in wood chips. Now, to get wood chips, I just called up the the nearest city, and they believe this or not, they're they're happy to dump them on me for free. I mean, one year I got a hundred loads. I'm not lying to you, and they were thrilled to thank me. They brought me two dump trucks of hard load hardwood locks to thank me. So I got my firewood for that year too. So they're having to dump them in the landfill. So there, sometimes if you get lucky, you could call up your city, uh, your public works. And say, um, what do you do with your wood chips? Can I have them? And, and you might get lucky and they might deliver them, but at the least, most of them let you go there and pick them up. So I put these wood chips down. I keep I keep the chickens on them with a mobile house and then an electric poultry net. And those chickens will desod, uh, deweed everything if you leave them there long enough. And if you're worried about the bare ground being bare, just put on wood chips. So then. Uh, once it's bare, then uh, I dump in wood chips and then uh, piles of wood chips and then leave the chickens in there still and the chickens will spread that out. And after they've spread that out, I've usually started my own seeds with uh, uh, soil blockers or something like that. And I'll, I'll just dig away the, the wood chips in that area and plant directly down into the soil. And if you want a good uh, a decent film about wood chip gardening, it's uh, Back to Eden. It's on Vimeo for free. And then, uh, so then I move the chickens out into another area to work it. And usually the, the other area I'm moving them into was a previous garden that has grown up and we've harvested it. And now the chickens have moved in and they're going to clean that up. So, but one cool thing that, so, so I should back up a little bit. The chickens in the wood chip, they, they, they tilled it, but then they also fertilized it. And then they also composted it because that they're, they're tilling in the, or they're, they're stirring those wood chips and they're helping them break down. And at the bottom of those wood chips, you began to build a compost level. So I move them out and they go and uh, till in the next garden. But one thing that I discovered one year, and I'll do this often too, is when, actually when I went to do my PDC in Australia, I just put the chickens in a, in a big a three acre place with a woven wire fence to just totally free range. So Rebecca didn't have to worry about anything. And there was a creek in there, so the chickens had free range and they could get a creek. She didn't have to feed them. So uh, 
when I, they were on a comp, my compost corner where I did Jeff Lawton's concept where he uh, feeds the chickens only compost, I had did that, but in a, a chicken run type scenario where they're just in the same spot. And I came back from Australia because I had moved the chickens out of that area, and I came back, and there were all these tomatoes and squash and pumpkins and all kinds of amazing stuff growing up, cucumbers, pretty evenly. I mean, they were not in perfect rows, but I thought, oh, man, this is cool, because the chickens had not only tilled that area, they not only fertilized that area, they not only compost that area and spread that compost around, they planted the seeds, now, I don't know if they swallowed the seeds and it came out as a nice little seed bomb. <laughs> uh, probably. But they probably missed some seeds, and they spread them out. And where were these seeds coming from? I was feeding them scraps, kitchen sh- uh, scra- cucumber scraps or whatever. I was feeding them uh, kitchen scraps and scraps from a, a grocery store at that time. And I came back, and all this stuff was planted, and I said, okay, I'm on to something. And I actually let that happen before the film, and we'll actually see it on the film. I mean, you're talking about two or three hundred pounds of food in this twelve hundred square foot area, and I didn't do a thing, but put but move the chickens. And um, I tell you, another cool thing about that is because it was, I had a, I had had four piles of compost in this area, and they were about a cubic yard each, and all these squash started to grow up on this on this compost heap. And what was cool about that is because it, it grew early, and there were there was frost, and and you know that those things are are subject to frost damage, and it didn't affect it because the compost was giving off some heat, and we had pumpkins in like June, and we're we're here in the mountains of North Carolina, so it was kind of crazy, and then I discovered when we were done, I had gone in there, so they had grown all these all this produce for us. All these squash and pumpkins and tomatoes and all kinds of good stuff. I went in there and harvested it. And then I brought the chickens back in to clean it up. And what I noticed was the chickens, within a couple of days, took down the greens. And this is why I say the chickens harvested, because they made that fruit accessible to me now. And I could see it. I could see the stuff I had missed. Now, the chickens didn't put it in a wheelbarrow, <laughs> but they they did part of the harvest, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. Now, you claim you cut your feed costs, and a lot of people have cut their feed costs, but you claim you cut your feed costs by 100%. Yeah. So, so how do you cut something by 100%? Well, that's cool, and I love talking about this. The we were When we started making that switch uh, to organic, more natu- we were buying this local natural feed. you got to be careful with the label natural. I mean, I know that now, but... <laughs> At least I could tell what was in it, right? It wasn't like Circle M. It's like these pellets or something. And we went down to the farm because we bought like 2,000 pounds or something. So we went down there, and it was looking kind of conventional or a, a, a little sketchy, you know. I mean, there were the big wide open fields or whatnot. And, and we, had, we had loaded this 2,000 pounds of feed, and my wife kind of shyly said, is this GMO? And I didn't even know what GMO was at that time. And and they said, yeah, they didn't hide anything. And we got in the car and left. And we're about five minutes away. And she she was explaining. And I'm like, okay. And it was kind of like one of those moments where it was like, okay, we're going to make this step. And we're not going to do GMO. And we were kind of just disheartened. We're like, okay, what are we going to do? We're going to sell this stuff. We only got like a half a bag of organic feed left at the house. We got like, at that time, it was like 25 chickens to feed. And uh, we said, okay, 
well, let's see if they'll take it back. And so they were kind enough to take it back. And we came back and we're in this bind because all of a sudden we only have this half a pound, half a bag of chicken feet. And it's very expensive. Organic feed around here is $34. It's probably worse in other places. And that was versus $11. So we're like wow. three times much. And so I said, I got to do something. At the time I had them in pasture on a pasture net. I was moving them once a week. Well, I said, I got to do something. One, I'm going to move them every day. And number two, I'm going to take Harvey, uh, Usuri's advice and I'm going to start rationing their feed out. They were getting all choice, free choice feed. And I knew that a chicken didn't need any more than a third pound of feed. And I knew that if they would get more than that, they're going to be fat and they're not going to produce as much eggs. So the third pound of feed I started giving them every day and then I started cutting it back. Every week by 10% as a ration. Now, mind you, I'm moving the chickens every day to fresh pasture. By the way, I could do it in nine minutes. And um, the I started cutting back, and I would measure their egg production every week. And, and I kept cutting back until finally it cut into their egg production. And then I then I realized, okay, I've gone a little too far, and I come back up a little bit, and there it was. And there, I, there was my new level. And I got down to a quarter pound of a feed and a, a day per chicken. And by the way, that was, I was end up paying less. My food budget was less, even with the $34 organics. And so then I said, well, I could take this further. And I ran an, another experiment where I had two different flocks, same breed, black Australor. Uh, I let one, I grew one up to 16 weeks feeding them feed, commercial feed. And the other, the other group I took, I grew them on feed until they were about eight weeks old. And even then I started rationing it towards the end. I said, I'm only going to give these 25 chickens only two bags of organic feed up until the time they're eight weeks old. So it was like 70 bucks or something. And um, the rest, after eight weeks, for the other half of their life, I let them totally free range. Now, not everybody can totally free range. Poop everywhere and you're kind of misdirecting their work effort, efforts. But sure. if you want deep organic meat, get a heritage breed. And uh, free range it, feed it till it's eight weeks old, then free range it. I've, I butchered both those out, both those two groups, the commercial fed feed group and then the free range group. And those free rangers weighed out a little more. I could not believe it. They were fattier and actually weighed a little more than a commercial. Now, you, you explain that to me. I don't I don't know. They, they weighed out better. And it was like 67 cents a pound for organic organic feed. And so I took it even one step further when I saw Jeff Lawton's videos, uh, his run, his uh, chicken tractor on steroids, and I saw what Carl Hammer was doing in one of Jeff Lawton's previous films, uh, some amazing stuff. And I mean, Carl Hammer's been doing that for years. And and if you've had chickens, you know that they will eat anything. And then if you start to learn about compost, you know there's a lot of biota protein life in that. And so I did exactly what Jeff did, except. And that's a key when somebody like that is teaching you something, you know, you get a lot of you, people might get flax and all oh, that doesn't work or whatever. It works if you do it like he says, like same thing with Joel Salatin and stuff. If you do it like Joel Salatin is doing it, it's going to work. But if you deviate from that, I mean, they fine tuned it over years. If you deviate from that, uh, even a little, sometimes it's not going to work. But so I did the Jeff Lawton, but I did it in the compost corner uh, because at the time with my Lyme disease and whatnot, I wasn't moving the chickens all over the property. I needed them in one place. So, I got to where I could do it, 
in a corner, and it's kind of hard to explain over the phone. I wrote an article about it. It's up on the website, uh, Compost Corner, something like that, on Abundant Permaculture. But uh, totally fed them, I mean, all summer long on compost. And what was cool about that is uh, every week you, you're rotating through the compost. So every week, I mean, it takes the chickens to, to compost that pile four weeks. So every week, I'm, then I'm rotating it out every week, and I've got a cubic yard of compost. So not only did I cut my chicken feed by 100%, uh, I'm getting around here it'd be at least $80 worth of compost a week. That's pretty awesome. That's crazy. That's pretty awesome. And I mean, you, so you, then the egg becomes a byproduct. Yeah. Now it was and like, the whole birds become, the meat becomes a byproduct of compost production. Exactly. Exactly. If they lay an egg, great. <laughs> if, they, <laughs> if, if they produce good meat, great. But at least we're going to get $80 worth of compost, and we're not going to have to worry about our budget. You know, If you have two and a half hours a week and you are willing to work, if you're willing to get a wor good workout, I mean, I'm fortunate enough. I have a volunteer who comes once a week, and that helps. So him and I will go out there and turn that pile, and it's fun. I mean, especially if you have somebody else turn a compost. Oh, yeah. Because it's not loud, there's no tractor, you know, you can talk, you can have a good time, you fool around. You could probably, by yourself, two and a half hours, maybe less, so, but it's a good workout. I mean, who needs a gym if you if you, if you you live on a farm and are willing to pick up a, pull, pull a chicken tractor or, or pick up a pitchfork? Absolutely, and you know, I'll tell you what, when you make compost with chickens, even though they do a piece of the work and eventually you have to take over and do a little bit of it. You, I don't believe personally that a human being can make that kind of compost by themselves without the chicken. It is a, a texture and a fluff that it's part of what I, you know, consider human pattern recognition. Like you don't have to know anything about soil, but when somebody shows you crappy soil, you know, it's crappy soil. Right. And when somebody shows you good soil, you're like, Oh, like, you know, I remember a long, long time ago when I was just getting started with Survival Podcast, I did an interview with um, the uh, Star-Telegram newspaper, and this girl came over with a camera crew, and we did a little interview in my backyard and all, and I was showing her my garden. She's like, oh, that's nice and all. And I remember this girl knew nothing about gardening, and I pulled back the mulch, and I pulled the soil up, and I showed it to her, and she goes, get the camera, take a picture of that. Like, she immediately, like, she just knew. And when you look at compost made by a chicken... It, it has something extra to it that I can't really – I mean, Jeff tried to explain in his video, but you you can't really understand the, the, the fluffy nature, the aeration that it gets. And, like, Elaine Ingham will tell you, like, the worst thing in the world is if your compost goes anaerobic. Well, if a chicken's kicking it around, it's not going to go anaerobic. It can't. That's right. Yeah, and I find the same thing. My compost, I've been at Jeff's. I've been – of course, we've been here. It's the same thing. It, it is It is crazy. High quality compost. So, can you uh, tell people a little bit more about how they can get th this video about your website that you have? And you've got some like cool bonuses you put together for TSP okay. listeners. Yeah, I put together five bonuses just for the SPI listeners. That's probably the best way to find out more about my what I more about me, more about my video. Go to my website, abundantpermaculture.com backslash jack. So abundantpermaculture.com backslash Jack. I'm not giving that out to anybody else. That's five bonuses that includes um, a free viewing of the uh, or a free chapter of the film. I just put it out earlier today to the Kickstarter backers. And so you're going to be in on that super early uh, preview. And then 
Uh, we're going to put together a webinar just for you guys, a survival podcast private webinar. With you'll be on it live with me, and we'll we'll that'll be kind of a little bit of a film release tour. We'll show like three chapters of the film. I'll be on there on a live chat, and you can get on there and chat with me. Uh, that'll be free to you guys. And then I'm going to go ahead and give you the uh, compost corner that I spoke about in this video uh, away for free as a download. You can get online and download it and then uh, uh, go and implement it yourself. I mean, I, I talked about it on, with Jack, but it's hard, to, it's hard to explain with voice. That kind of thing is better in paper. And then the Kickstarter, I put together like, oh gosh, it's probably 10 pages of all the tools and tricks and strategies I used that made the Kickstarter so successful. And uh, the last thing is the Chickshaw. So if you are on a pastured situation or you want to do free ranging, I designed this Chickshaw that one person can move 36 birds. I mean, it'll hold as many birds as Jeff Lawton's trailer in his video, but this one, you can move it move it yourself. It works It works like a rickshaw, hence the name Chickshaw, and I put up the plans step-by-step uh, photos uh, or step-by-step plans with photos and you can get all five of those bonuses for free for joining my email list and that's at abundantpermaculture.com backslash jack and for everybody that's driving around in a car or listening while you jog or work out at the gym or whatever is always uh, important links like that I'll make sure that they are in the show notes for you guys uh, so that you can uh, make sure that you can get a hold of that stuff later that's that's awesome I, I wish, honestly, Justin, that more people that come on the show as guests would do that kind of prep to make sure that they take advantage of the exposure they get to the audience. And, and it's cool what you put together. I think that's awesome, and uh, I'll make sure people know to get on over there for you. Yeah, okay, thanks. <laughs> and uh, I think people should just check out your website as well, AboundantPermaculture.com. It's awesome, and the Chicksaw is awesome. I love the name, right? Yeah. I get, you know, yeah. It's not a, a play on rickshaw, obviously, and uh, I love the product. When I looked at it, I'm like, if I was still doing chickens, yeah. I would totally build one of those. Yeah, I, I really, absolutely would. So, uh, yeah. in fact, it has my mind thinking in miniature for quail. Believe it or not, with uh, yeah. kind of a plug-in for these runs that I'm building now. But uh, anyway, man, I really appreciate you being with us today, Justin. Thank, thanks for being with us. And uh, one more time, give out that website address. Okay, abundant purple, abundantpermaculture.com backslash Jack. Did you almost say purple culture? Yeah, man. Wheaton got in your head, man. That's awesome. Anyway, guys, I really appreciate you being with us today, uh, Justin, and uh, th thanks to everybody for tuning in. Again, AbundantPermaculture.com backslash Jack. Link will be in the show notes. As usual, I'm closing the show up with a little bit different music than we have been for years and years and years, bringing uh, older music to you. Today's uh, little piece is from Jackson Brown, and it's from a CD called The Pretender, but it's not The Pretender. The song is the lead track in that old album. It's called The Fuse, and it's about time passing by. Don't let time pass you by. Build that business. Build that life. Get stuff done, guys, just like Justin did. And with that, this has been Jack Spirico today along with Justin Rhodes, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. It's coming from so far away. It's hard to say for sure what I hear is music or the through an open door There's a fire high in the empty sky Where the sound meets the shore There's a long-distance loneliness Rolling out over the desert floor 
There's a part 